This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. He is risen. Three small words that brought the collective pace of humanity to an absolute standstill. He is risen. Three words that shattered prisons. Words that shook the earth's foundations. Words that transformed a sense of utter despair into cries of pure joy and ecstasy. Echoes of history's greatest triumph that still shape our reality. Even today, we're assaulted by constant distraction, countless sources waging war for our attention, yet three words pierce the noise. In our hunger for validation, our desperate pleas for love and attention, three words calm our anxieties. In a universe spinning at breakneck speed, its inhabitants locked in an existential crisis, three words proclaim the purpose of our existence. He is risen. Lay hold of this truth and embrace the peace within. Yesterday, fear reigned in our hearts. Yesterday, we sat in crippling darkness. Yesterday, we suffered abuse and all the accusations of a broken world. But today, our King, our Healer, our Defender is risen. And this reality doesn't merely accompany us on a meaningless journey. This changes everything. For you see, if He is risen then all other pursuits become secondary. All of our failures become insignificant. All criticisms and condemnations become irrelevant. There is only His word, His mission, and His infinite, unconditional love for you. Because He is risen, we look to tomorrow. Tomorrow we will stop defining our worth through status and social media. Tomorrow we will together build an everlasting kingdom. Tomorrow and every day after, we will dance in the radiance of a redeeming Savior who crushed death and set us free. There is nothing that Jesus cannot overcome. We know this because he lives. We know this because he is risen. And those three words bring us together this morning. And in many different church traditions on Easter weekend, it's been the practice of the minister or the MC to say he is risen and the people respond, He is risen indeed. And so we want to do that to begin our study today. If you're not used to this, I will say, He is risen. And then with over-the-top excitement, not just a mumble, get your voices powered up. I want you to shout, He is risen indeed. And then if you want to follow it up with loud applause and a wild cheer, that's appropriate today. Are you ready? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, on this Easter morning, I declare to you that the stone has been rolled away, the tomb is empty, death has been conquered, Satan has been defeated, and he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's begin our journey this Easter 
morning with a few basic reminders. First of all, the foundation of the Christian faith is not the church. And I love the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not blind to its flaws. I get irritated. Yeah, I get irritated how we Americans have fashioned the church into a selfish, consumer-oriented business of what's in it for me? Preacher, how can you make me feel good about myself? That, that kind of irritates me. But I still love the church of Jesus Christ. You're my people. <laughs> However, the church is not the foundation of the Christian faith. Neither is the foundation of the Christian faith those of us who call ourselves Christians. And, and again, I love you. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, even though sometimes... Uh, you're a little bit eclectic and strange, I should say we maybe, and, and cranky, and unfortunately on occasion we're even a little bit hypocritical. But despite the flaws, the family of God is pretty special. But Christians are not the foundation of our faith. Nor is the foundation of the Christian faith answered prayer. And and it's encouraging when you come to me and say, Pastor, God answered prayer this past week. It is so encouraging, but answered prayer is not the foundation of our faith. That the foundation of the Christian faith isn't having all of our questions answered about the Bible. You know, the Bible is God's Word. It's inspired. It's trustworthy. But I'm sorry, but you will never be smart enough. Neither will I where we can comprehend everything about the Bible. On this earth, as long as we're cloaked in human flesh, we're just way too human to have a full comprehension of God's Word. So the foundation of our faith can't be fully understanding all aspects of the Bible. Nor is the foundation of our faith a creed or, or a code or, or a baptism or, or, or communion or, or keeping the Ten Commandments. Those are Christian disciplines and, and practices and traditions, and many times they help keep us steady in our faith. But they cannot be the foundation of our faith. Rather, the foundation of our faith is something that can be traced back to one event in history that today, today we will continually refer to as the mystery of history. Now, this mystery of history is centered around a rabbi named Jesus. And, and this mystery of history caused 12 followers of Jesus who were simple fishermen and farmers and cheating tax collectors to spread the news about this mysterious event to where, this is remarkable, today one out of every three people on planet earth identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ. This mystery of history also helps explain that why, even though Jesus never wrote a book, in fact, to my knowledge, unless I've missed something in the Word, besides the one instance, remember when Jesus took his finger and wrote in the dirt when the woman had been caught in the act of adultery, besides that, we have no record of Jesus writing anything else down. So he was not an author. Yet we have more books written about Jesus than about any other person in the world. Isn't that remarkable? This mystery of history helps explain how even though Jesus never composed a song, yet there's more music written about him than about anybody else. 
This mystery of history helps explain the fact that even though Jesus never drew a picture, never painted a drawing, yet more artists have drawn and painted Jesus in their artwork than any other person in history. This mystery of history helps explain the reason that even though Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born, yet you can find his followers in every nook and cranny, in every continent, in every nation, in every tribe, and pretty much represented in every language of the world. How did that happen? Again, we call it the mystery of history. And think about this. When, when I say the name Caesar Augustus, what do you think of? Well, many of you say, well, Roman emperor. And he was. He was actually the first Roman emperor. Caesar Augustus was a very powerful man that made all kinds of reforms in Rome. But, but I doubt anybody here, unless you are a history major, I, I doubt we could name one thing he did. How about Nero? He was another Roman emperor, but, but you probably couldn't tell me one thing that he did as an emperor. You know, maybe a few of you would remember that for entertainment, you know, just for kicks, as a hobby, he fed Christians to the lions in the arena. But besides that, you're probably like me. You remember nothing else about him. And so from the historical standpoint, isn't it rather odd that even though Caesar and, and Nero and other emperors of Rome were some of the biggest names within one of the biggest and greatest superpowers ever. I mean, they would be like the equivalents of George Washington and, and Abraham Lincoln, but we can't remember anything about them, and they merely became footnotes in history. But <laughs> when I say the name Jesus Christ... Even though he was not an emperor, he was not a president, he was not an author, he was not an artist, he was not a singer, he was a very plain, calm, and at times very laid-back rabbi from backwoods Galilee that never advocated any kind of revolution. He never organized a day of marching or picketing in Jerusalem. His message was not one of, let's turn this place upside down and let's take this country back. There was no talk of liberation. And the big question is, how did Jesus not just become another has-been in history? I mean, like Caesar Augustus and Nero, Caligula, Vespasian, Herod, Pilate. They, they were known for their particular few years in power, but that's it. And how Jesus continues to make an impact and change lives even hundreds and thousands of years later, on up to today? How is that? Again, it's this mystery of history. And to make this big mystery even more mysterious, it's interesting, right before Jesus was crucified, his closest friends and followers, you know what they did? They abandoned him. In fact, nobody stood up for him. And here's why this is important. The, the very people that brought us the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they gave us the details of Jesus, they presented, this is so fascinating, they presented themselves as cowards. Um, you know, when you write yourself into a story, you normally do not write yourself in as the coward. You write yourself in as the hero. The very people that brought us everything we know about Jesus, they all admitted that when Jesus was arrested, they ran. They were cowards. 
And not only that, but Peter, who earlier had said, Lord, I don't know about these other yahoos. You know, they may abandon you, but I never will. You can count on me. Put it in the bank. I'll be with you. After Jesus is arrested, this same guy, Peter, sitting by the fire, a middle school girl walks up to him and says, huh, I, I, I think... I think I saw you with Jesus, and you must be one of his followers. And, and three times Peter says, no, I'm not. And the last time he punctuates it by swearing. Now, now we're talking about Peter. You know, our Catholic friends would call him their first pope. The rock. There he is swearing, denying Christ. So how, again, is it that with followers that abandoned him, the message of Christ still spread across the world. Well, it was because of one epic event. You say, well, that's easy. The epic event was Jesus' death. Well, you know, his death was necessary for our salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But, but really, what's the big deal about dying? Everybody dies. I, I mean, you'll die. Some of us, it'll be sooner rather than later. You know, I'll die. Uh, we'll all end up six feet under. As they say, pushing up daisies. Actually, here in Cedar County, we should say pushing up dandelions, especially this time of year. So, so I keep asking this. How is it that this crazy movement that should have died when the leader died not only survived the first century, but it survived the second century? And then it survived the third century. And then the fourth century, clear up to the 21st century, how did that happen? Well, it's the great mystery of history. And you already know what it is. This great mystery of history is the event that we're celebrating today. The resurrection of Jesus. So just as we began our time together, once again I say He is risen. You say He is risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen Here's a quick unfolding of the events leading up to this mystery of history. Jesus left what we refer to as the Passover meal that he took with his disciples. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Judas betrayed him. Jesus was then taken to the Sanhedrin and then to Pilate's palace and then to Herod's palace and then back to Pilate's palace and, and then to the place where he was whipped beyond recognition by two Roman soldiers with a whip called the Cat of Nine Tails. He went to Golgotha where he was nailed to the cross, where he said it is finished and breathed his last breath. But that wasn't the end of the story. And here's the account that leads us to this great mystery of history. Let's read it from John's Gospel, John chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. I think we've got a lot of secret disciples today. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now, think about this, 75 pounds, 75 pounds of spices. For those of you that are farmers, uh, Imagine a 50-pound bag of feed for your, for your cows and then add half of, of, of that again. Verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them, that would be Joseph and Nicodemus, wrapped it, wrapped the body of Jesus with the spices, 
in strips of linen, and this was the way that they did the embalming at that time. They wrapped it in the spices. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. So they must have been kind of in a hurry there. They laid Jesus there. Now, what really helps us to understand this better is if you take this account. Remember, we have four gospel accounts. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and uh, there are four different personalities that documented the life of Christ. And, and so with different personalities, you get different details. So you can get more information if you'll kind of blend the four accounts together. But anyway, there's one little account that you may have never picked up on that, that, that frankly, as I study the Word, just, just kind of cracks me up. Um, and this is probably my warped personality, maybe my, my sixth sense of humor. But, but we read where Joseph and, and Nicodemus, two men, prepared the body with spices. You know, they were embalming it for burial. Remember how many pounds of spices? 75. This was right after he died, you know, the evening before the Sabbath. But this is what cracks me up. There were some women. I heard someone say, that's right. <laughs> but, but there were some women that evidently felt that the men didn't do it right. They embalmed the body. They put, applied spices there. And so they decided to redo it. Uh, I mean, seriously. Uh, Now we're going to blend over to another uh, gospel, Mark's gospel, in in chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, so Joseph and Nicodemus had put spices on the body right before the Sabbath, which would have been Friday evening. But then after the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and and, and Salome, or also referred to as said Salome, brought spices. Wait a minute. Didn't the guys already do that? Brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Now, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of reading between the lines, and I probably shouldn't do that. But, but it appears that the women figured the guys didn't do a very good job, so they needed to step in and redo it and do it right, the right way. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm partially joking, but, but seriously, probably what happened is that the sun was going down. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and the moment the sun set on, on Friday evening signaled the beginning of the Sabbath— also the beginning of the Passover. And so religious laws, and this is what's significant, didn't allow them to be embalming and putting spices on a dead body on the Sabbath. So more than likely, Joseph and Nicodemus, they were trying to hurry. They knew the sun was going down. And, and so they wrapped it up, put, put spices there, got out of there before the sun set and, and before the Sabbath and, and the Passover began. Well, the Sabbath, they went through the Sabbath. The ladies thought, you know what? Those guys were probably in a hurry. We better go and make sure that the guys had time to do it right. Well, verse 2, Mark, Mark 16. Very early on the first day of the week, so that would be, what's the first day of the week? Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they, meaning these ladies, were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, ladies, I'm kind of picking on you here, but... No, no disrespect to you. And, and thankfully, things have changed in, in, in some cultures, not in every culture. But in the first century, women had no credibility. In fact, in the first century, a woman would not be allowed to testify in court because her testimony was considered unreliable. 
And so if there were any way possible for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John to tell the story of the resurrection and somehow delete the women out of the story, they would have probably done it. Because even though they were followers of Jesus, they still had it embedded in, you know, the culture was embedded in them and in their minds that they were, you know, saying that the women were the first people to find the empty tomb, to some people would have discredited their account. But you have to hand it to the gospel writers. They, they were trying to give an accurate account. So on the first day of the week, the women made their way to the tomb, wondering, this was their dilemma. There's a big stone in front of the tomb. How are we going to get that stone away and properly put spices around the body? Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now, let me give you just a little Greek insight here. Sometimes just talking, reading the English translation, we miss so much. But if you go back to the original Greek wording where where it says that, you know, the stone had been rolled away, you know, humans, we would have just cracked it a little bit so we could kind of slide in there. But that's not the wording of this this, this Greek, that's not the meaning of this Greek word. And what it indicates is that this stone, which the Bible says was very large, was picked up and carried up the hill a great distance away. In other words, this was not something that humans would do. Switching back to John's gospel. What was the reaction of the women when they saw the stone was rolled away? Well, Mary Magdalene came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, now, who was the one that Jesus loved? John the Beloved. So this would have been John. He was telling this as an eyewitness. Said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Now, this also is very significant. Mary Magdalene didn't go running to the disciples and say, Hallelujah, the tomb is empty. He's risen from the dead. You know, we were just outside the tomb going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And when we got to 1, there was a flash of fire and Jesus came bursting out of the tomb. Praise God, he resurrected from the dead. It didn't happen that way. There was no drum roll, no band, no celebration, no shout, no fireworks. I I would have, if I'd have been on the planning committee of this, I would have arranged a big pyrotechnic show and had an Easter song blaring. You know, Don Francisco, you young people don't understand this. But he had a song, you know, he's alive, I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. I'd have had something like that. But there was none of that. But anyway, here's what was important. What Mary said is that even though Jesus, you know, time and time again, had said, I'm going to rise again. Do you understand this? I'm going to rise again. These people, their closest followers, his closest followers, they thought when Jesus died, he would stay dead. So when the women found an empty tomb, they did not assume a resurrection. They assumed that there was a warped person that had robbed the grave, maybe to play a joke on the Romans or maybe even Jesus' followers. And and so these ladies, when they saw the empty tomb, they went running back to the disciples and said, somebody's taken our Lord. We don't know where they put him. Well, Luke tells us how the men responded to the women. Verse 10 says, they, you know, the ladies told the apostles what had happened and, and listen to this. 
Here's how the men responded. But the story sounded like nonsense, so they didn't believe it. You know, the men basically said to the women, you're crazy. That's the reason we don't allow women to give testimony in court. You're unreliable. Driven by your emotions, plus you don't have a very good sense of direction, you probably just went to the wrong tomb. I added that, by the way. I'm sorry. You won't find that in Scripture. Sorry. You know, what you're saying is all nonsense. But did you notice, just in case the ladies might be right, it's interesting that the disciples decided to check it out. And so in John chapter 20, verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple, other disciple meaning John, John's referring to himself in third person, started for the tomb. Both were running like this, but the other disciple, which would be John, outran Peter, reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in. So there he is outside the tomb, looking in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Now, question, do you know why John didn't just barge into the cave or to the tomb? Because normal people don't typically go flying into a tomb without a little bit of pause or hesitation. I mean, that, that was John. Now, Peter, Pete was a different cat. Uh, he was a slow runner, but he had a quick tongue and quick acting and impulsive. And when he got to the tomb, verse 6, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, went into the tomb, just barged in. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And then I like this. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, you know, John, he's watching, nothing happened to Peter, so he gets up his courage, also went inside. And, and here's what you need to pay attention to. This is, this is so amazing. Key statement. He saw and believed. Who, who saw and believed? John, John the Beloved, probably Jesus' closest earthly friend. This is John, John the writer of the Gospel of John. This is John the writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is John the writer of the book of Revelation. Did you notice when John fully believed it? It wasn't during the three years that he followed Jesus around while he was teaching. It wasn't when Jesus called a coin out of the mouth of a fish. It wasn't when Jesus stopped the waves with the word. It wasn't when Jesus spoke to a fig tree, remember, and it withered. It wasn't when Jesus spoke in a basket with just a few fish and loaves became a banquet. It wasn't during or after any of the 37 recorded miracles that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't even during the crucifixion, even though the sky went black and there was an earthquake. Do you know when John finally believed? when he saw the empty tomb. And that empty tomb started a chain reaction and suddenly these cowards, <laughs> these disciples who had fled and abandoned Jesus when he was arrested, when, when they saw that Jesus had indeed been raised from the dead, they believed. And, and here's what's so important is that these cowards became bold and couldn't keep quiet and they went into the streets of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas and they began to preach and teach. 
And do you know what their sermon topic was? It, not the parables of Jesus, not the miracles of Jesus, not the love of Jesus, not that Jesus turned water into wine, even though today that would gather quite a crowd. Not that he healed people. Not that he cast out demons. Not hear the Ten Commandments, you know, you got to follow them. And, and he didn't preach turn or burn or get right or get left or get sanctified or get french fried or whatever. The book of Acts chapter 2 gives us the four-point outline that Peter preached. And remember, Peter is the one who denied Christ three times. Coward. Point number one, Peter said, you killed him. His message was pretty direct. He said, you killed him because he was talking to the people who had been part of the crowd that said crucify him. So, so point number one was, you killed him. Point number two was, even though you killed him, yet he didn't stay dead. The stone was rolled away. Jesus came out of the tomb. Point number three, we've seen him. We know he's alive. This is not hearsay. We saw him with our very own eyes. In fact, there were over 500 people who saw Jesus alive after the resurrection. We weren't dreaming. We weren't under the influence. We weren't smoking weed. We saw him, and others saw him too. Point number four. Now say you're sorry. In other words, repent and come to Jesus and believe he's the Savior of the world. The resurrection is what solves history's greatest mystery. And, and it explains how this movement that Jesus began survived his death. It explains how it survived the first century when Christians were being fed to the lions. That should have been the end of it. It explains how it survived the Dark Ages was there was so much confusion. And you know what? The Dark Ages was just a tragic time in the history of Christianity. There was so much confusion. There was, you know, the indulgences and all of that, paying for forgiveness of sins and even paying money before you would go and commit a sin. It was a tragic, tragic time. It explains how it survived years of the corruption of the church. It explains how it survived the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth centuries on up to today. Death was no match for Jesus. The grave was no match for Jesus. Hell was no match for Jesus. Satan was no match for Jesus. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shunned them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so here's what the resurrection means for us today. It means that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, you know what it means? It means that there's a resurrection and life. And it also means this. I pray that God would speak to us here. It also means that no matter how bad your church experience has been, unfortunately, we can look back at church experiences splits and just a whole bunch of stuff and it's just a horrible memory but it means that no matter how bad your church experience have been it, it, it has been no matter how crooked listen no matter how crooked the last christian was that you did business with no matter what you've seen in terms of hypocrisy in church people no matter how many of your christian heroes have 
failed and fallen over the past year. There have been a bunch. This has nothing to do with Jesus. And so my Easter message to you is to get your eyes on Jesus and the great mystery of history. You know, because of this great mystery of history, you can be set free. Not because you're strong, because you're not, I'm not, but because he's strong. It means that you can feel his presence, not, not because you deserve it, but because he wants to be close to you. It means that your sins can be forgiven, not because you're good and worthy, but because he is good and worthy. You know, the tomb is empty. He is risen, and that changes everything. You know, someone once said, I spent most of my life searching for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Then I finally found it at the foot of the cross. The cross and the resurrection together give us hope for the future. So today, today on this Easter morning, after a tough year politically that has caused friction among friends and even church people, after a tough year with a global pandemic that has caused disunity and isolation and caused routines to be ups, turned upside down, after, after a year where many of us have struggled spiritually and maybe even backed away from God. On this Easter morning, I would urge you to rediscover and get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to commit to this church. I'm not asking you to commit to a bunch of rules and traditions. I'm not asking you to commit to any spiritual heroes. I'm not asking you to commit to me because I for sure will probably disappoint you. But on this Easter, I'm asking you to commit to Jesus. Why? Because of this mystery of history. Would you please rediscover Jesus Christ in your life? So as we pray this morning, maybe there's some of you that you've kind of backed away. You know, this year has been tough on us. Maybe some of you are like this lady that I talked with. You're just kind of mad at God because things didn't work out for you in a particular area. And so you're kind of upset. And, you know, as I told her yesterday, I said, ma'am, could I urge you to take some baby steps towards God? She said, I want to. I want to rediscover him. I want him back in my life. And so for those of you that maybe you've been on the outs, maybe uh, for, for whatever reason, you've just kind of been in the crowd away from Jesus. Jesus is calling you back to him today. So as I pray, if, if you strayed away from him, maybe you've never known him, Come back. Come back. Jesus says, come back. Come back. Because he is risen. Oh God, I, I thank you for your presence this morning. Father, I thank you for the empty tomb Lord, which gives us tomorrow. Lord, on this, in this life here on earth, we, 
we do go through a lot of trials, death, sorrow, pain, hardship. But God, because of the fact that your son was victorious over, over death and over Satan, over the tomb, God, eternal life, there the book of Revelation talks about there will be no more sorrow, no more parting, no more pain, no more hardship. And you talk about one day you'll wipe away all the tears from our eyes. So Lord, if we're weary, I pray that God, we would take heart because he has risen. And so Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that maybe has backed away from Jesus and whatever has gotten in the way and I pray, Jesus, that they would just take some steps towards you today and, God, that they would rediscover, that they would reconnect and, God, that we would just give our sin to you and lay it at the foot of the cross where there's forgiveness. So, God, I pray that right now, these people that are gathered here and those that are watching online, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to just come back. God, thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you. It's not just a hope, and I hope so, but it's a reality. The reality of a better day. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, before we go. Once again, I need your participation. You kind of got this thing down. I'm going to say he is risen. You know what to say by now. So are you ready? Do you need to clear your throats? Power up your voices. Get ready. Ladies and gentlemen, the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. Death has been conquered. Satan has been defeated. And he is risen. And now go do what the disciples did and tell somebody about it. And all of the people said, Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.